Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you very much, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 279. And joining me today in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters is Greg Carlos, Kyle Scanlon, and Alex Kellum. We've got three vehicles we're going to talk about today. We've got a lightning round, a viewer question from Charlie. However, we're going to basically take a look at two of the vehicles first, saving the return of a favorite to the end of the show. But we're going to begin with Power, the 2022 Porsche 718 Cayman GT4 RS. Greg, Carlos, take the lead. Tell us what it's all about and how much the big grin on your face says an awful lot. Yeah, well, I'm all about it. Um, we literally just got back from the track yesterday, uh, barely beat the rain, so we had a nice dry track. For and you were at uh, Summit Point. Summit Point Summit Motorsports Point, Park in, yeah, just outside of Charlestown, West Virginia. I right. uh, didn't place any bets, though, at the casino. <laughs> um, <laughs> placed them on the racetrack. Uh, yeah, so uh, talking about the Cayman, um, if you're unfamiliar, this is the mid-engine Porsche, uh, unlike a 911, which actually has the engine behind the rear axle. That's how you differentiate. Mid-engine is obviously between the two. Uh, so now that we have that refresher, let's get into the really good stuff. Uh, so GT4 RS uh, essentially equals just super high performance car that's like barely street. I was going to say, this is really... We keep getting closer and closer to a pure race car, and this is pretty darn close. We, yeah, and I, I almost, I hesitate to say race car for the street because we pretty much say that yeah. with like once you hit the GT, so 911 GT3 right. or Cayman GT4. If you are confused, yes, there is a Cayman GT4. This is a separate car. The RS uh, are the important letters at the end, and uh, if, if you're looking at it. Um, it basically makes the GT4 look like a tame street hmm. car hmm. because the GT4S or GT4RS has uh, NACA ducts in the hood. There's all kinds of diffusers on the front and the rear. All they, sorts of aero control. The wing is bigger. It sits up it's higher. It's a huge wing. Massive wing. Yeah. And the GT4 has a big wing. Yeah. And now you imagine this one sitting up even higher. It's even bulkier. It's a three-stage wing, manually adjustable, so you can soup it up to the top to really maximize downforce or you can keep it lower. We didn't even touch it because, I mean, we're, you know, as good of drivers as we are, we're not that good. We're yeah. not able to tune it to specific tracks. Um, but all of this to say it is a fantastic car on the racetrack. Um, it, you basically have to treat it as such. You can't really baby this thing around a racetrack because you don't get the full experience. And there's that whole fear wall, if you've ever done high-performance driving, that you generally have to get over. This car doesn't really have it. It's just like you always feel comfortable because it's just so locked down on the road. The front-end grip is insane. The rear-end grip is insane. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a ton of power, and I know that's a relative term because it's 493 horsepower. But it's not six and 700. <clears throat> Correct. And that's, uh, you know, I'll, uh, we'll go ahead and talk about the 911 Turbo S Lightweight that we also had there. So we got the, I got to drive them back-to-back, and that has 640 horsepower as opposed to 493 completely different animals. Um the GT4 RS is the car you go for if you want a visceral driving experience because they've actually added 
instead of the uh, rear windows, they've actually taken those out and they've added air intakes that feed the new air box. It's right on top of the engine in the cabin, right behind your head, and that's on purpose. Hmm. So you hear the intake when you're on the street, <laughs> when you're on the racetrack with a helmet on. I mean, it is loud. Having said that, this is not something I would recommend as a daily driver. It uh, is rough on the road. Uh, it's kind of hard to see through the rear wing. Like I said, it's loud. If you're like me, I enjoy it, but I, you know, most people who have visions of buying this car and say, oh, I want to daily drive it or even drive it on the weekends, uh, you know, you might want to second guess that and maybe think about taking it to a racetrack because that's where the car belongs. So it's really basically for those track days and mm-hmm. for special occasions. So, I mean, it's already out. I, what's, I hate to aim mass with the MSRP as I'm sure it's way out of our 141 price 141 is where Well, it that's not as bad as I thought you might say. I mean, for basically a supercar-like performance. Considering the Turbo S lightweight that we had there is like 226. Yeah, yeah. And I had more fun. You know, I went, I hit 169 at the end of the straight in the turbo, mm-hmm. and I hit 153 in the end of the straight. And this was absolute as late a braking as I could possibly mm-hmm. do, as I felt comfortable with. So, yeah, you go faster in the turbo, but I unequivocally had a better time in the GT4 RS because it's more suited for a racetrack. Would that be your choice if you were going to get something just for kicks? Uh, it's Sue. I'm I'm having trouble because the GT3, the 911 GT3, is also awesome. And I would yeah. say because it's just it only has a few more horsepower because yeah. it's the same engine. It's the four liter naturally aspirated revs to infinity essentially, <laughs> um, and that's infinity is nine thousand RPM. Um, that's a good question. I think I would still. Oh man, I'm even switching right now as I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I didn't mean to still, put you on the spot I'd there. I probably still go 911 GT3 just because that one was probably the top three track car I've ever driven. Mm-hmm. Because when we were at Roebling and we were doing car to car, I realized about like halfway through, like, oh, I don't even need to brake in this thing. I can just, just I can power go probably like corner. six tenths normally where I tap a brake, and I there's so much front end grip. Yeah. Anyway. 718 GT4 RS um, is too good of a track car for me to really pick out things that aren't, you know, good about it. Um, Makes you feel like a superstar. You can turn uh, stability control off and there's a little bit, like the tiniest bit of intervention just to make sure everything doesn't go sideways. You can still get sideways, but it won't let you get too far out of sorts. Um, You feel like a superhero it's just yeah yeah uh, i I know people out there saying now you guys get paid for this uh yes it is a job but this is one of the uh ultimate perks of it alex did you get any time in it yeah so i was alex alex is basically in uh, the training mode when it comes to cars like a little little green on the racetrack but that's okay i mean we 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 got everybody has to learn i'll start somewhere so what did you think uh yeah i mean coming from like a novice i mean that's one heck of a car to start with, for sure. Uh, I mean, I loved it. And again, obviously, I'm not a, at a point where I could pick out like little things that I didn't uh, like or care for. But after having driven both, ooh, um, I had more fun in the GT4 RS, hmm. for sure. And I mean, obviously, like both were fun. I can't. It's hard to discern. Right, but okay, let's hone in on that. So, what was your what was what made it stand out? It has well, less it was, power. It's not not quite the car. Anyway, go ahead. It was, it was, uh, Greg kind of alluded to this. It was just that much more visceral. 
like driving it, I really felt like, wow, you know, I'm in something really cool. And it, it, again, you, you've got that punch in, in the 911 that was, yeah, it was faster and all that. And it, and it was cool. But something about that GT4 RS when you're riding in it. Would you guys say that it was a smoother car around the track? Smoother as in how? Like uh, basically, like, you know, like the, the transitions and from the straights into the corners and back again. I, you know, because it has less power, so it wouldn't be quite as punchy. But would you say that it's a little? It's smoother. I mean, smoother. Smooth always wins races. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm still. That was my first time on that circuit, so yeah. I'm still picking the lines, and I have the instructor yeah. showing me everything. But I felt personally like I was able to stick to the line a bit better in the GT4 mm -hmm. RS. It, Maybe that's because it had less power. It's well, there's a couple of reasons. It's easier to tie the whole course together. You really get into a rhythm, spe uh, specifically on uh, this is the main circuit at some right. point. Um, it's a very flowy track once you figure it out. Um, it's it's smoother because of the transmission it has a pdk only in this one so uh dual clutch mm -hmm. transmission no manual on the gt4 rs it uh comparing it to the 911 turbo um it's the transmission held a gear when it had to it shifted when it had to i never even had to use the paddles because it was that good the turbo i had issues with it upshifting when i didn't want it to be, because also it doesn't rev as high. Uh, and specifically in uh, going from one to two, I got a mid-corner upshift every time. And in hindsight, I should have left it in manual and kept it in third. But the issue to make it less smooth than the GT4 is you also have that turbo, which mm. as soon as it shifts, you lose boost a little bit. And then for that, so that split second, there's an interruption in the balance of the car. And then because the turbo is just so ridiculously powerful, it then sends you into the corner. That's exactly what I meant. Yeah, yeah. And it's just the the corners come up in that 911 Turbo S so fast, it's ridiculous. Like I I I thought I was going fast in the GT4, hopped in the 911, and I had to rewire my brain on how to get around <laughs> the track because corners literally were coming up too fast for me. Mm -hmm. wow. Amazing experience. I, I think we should end it there. Uh, the 2022 Porsche 718 came in GT4 RS. Thanks, Greg. And now we're really going to throttle down, but to something of much more interest to probably most of the folks that are out there uh, looking for a new SUV this summer. And this is the 2023 Toyota Sequoia. Kyle, you've had the seat time in it. Uh, what sets it apart? And of course, this is their big three-row body-on-frame yes. based on the latest Tundra. Based on the latest Tundra. Take it so, away. Um, I went out to do the Tundra event when they released it, I don't remember how many months ago, and I was very happy with that. And that just transferred right over to this Sequoia where I am just as happy with it. The, um, the ride is very clean, very, uh, very comfortable, and you have a lot of confidence in this car for a car that's so big. I know we drive so many things that we're used to it, but I feel like specifically somebody coming from more of a midsize SUV, if they wanted to upgrade and jump right into this, that there wouldn't be a whole lot of like, you know, holy cow, this thing's gigantic. How did, you know, did I make a mistake? Am I ever going to be able to park this thing? Which, you know, concerns I have heard from friends of mine who are considering mm -hmm. upgrading to larger vehicles like this. Uh, comes in five different trim levels, SR5, Limited, Platinum, the new Capstone, and then the TRD Pro. 
That's all going up in price range from low to high. Every single one of them comes with the iForce Max engine, which is only an option in the new Tundra, but it comes standard in so all of these vehicles. So this is a hybrid. Yes, it is a hybrid right. with uh, 237 horsepower and 583 pound-feet of torque and 9,000 pound uh, maximum tow rating. So they had an Airstream and a boat there for us to tow mm-hmm. around, and the car just took off with them. No, no real issues there at all. So this is full size. Yeah, and big. This this is, I guess, Tahoe uh, Expedition yep, uh, rival. Def- definitely rivaling the, those vehicles. You know, there aren't that many body-on-frame big SUVs le- uh, left, and a lot of people think. I mean, it used to be when you transitioned from, say, a mid-size car-based unibody frame to a body-on-frame. The body on frame didn't feel as secure because the body and the frame can actually move around against each other. But that was the first word out of your mouth that you felt secure in this. I did. So did you have any sensation that you were on a totally different style architecture? No, not really. Just felt very solid. It just felt very solid. You were very connected to the road and... um, you know, just like I said earlier, it just inspired a lot of confidence. Like I just had, you know, no problem driving around country roads in Texas. And, you know, a lot of them, we had, we had one GPS issue where about 12 of us in six vehicles got sent down a dead end road uh, in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And uh, so we could just kind of have to start guessing which road to go down to get to the racetrack where we were headed. And there, there were windy roads, lots of quick little elevation changes and stuff that didn't feel like you were hauling, yeah, a, and it, you and know, 5,000 pounds around. Or nope, whatever. it didn't. You know, it took the corners, it took the elevation changes with ease. And uh, again, just I, I keep beating it like, a, you know, beating this word, but it's inspiring confidence. It really did, did. Did you crawl into the second and third row at all? I did. I did. And I got what in the back of the space second and third there? row. I mean, is the third row actually usable by well, adults? One of the things they do offer is the third row slides back and forth six inches. So you can that's give. That's unusual. Yeah. So that's, I believe that the only, Toyota is the only one doing that in this segment right now. And, um, yeah, so I got back there, and even when it's all the way forward to give yourself that extra six inches behind the third row for cargo space, it's not terribly cramped. Um, you know, if it were Greg or Dave Scrivener, that might be a different story because they're both over six feet How tall. tall are you? I'm 5'9". Okay. 5'10 on a good day. <laughs> and and um, one of the one of the other things that's interesting is behind the sliding third row, they have uh, adjustable cargo shelves. So I believe there were three different levels. You can take it out completely, or there was one height that had about six inches, one height that was about six inches off the uh, off the bottom, so you could sit fit some sports equipment, you know, mm-hmm. baseball bats, baseball gloves, things like that, and then other things on top of it. And then there's two more levels to go up as well. So you can really, you know, really work with the space behind the third row. And with that cargo shelf being adjustable, you're basically doubling Mm -hmm. the amount of space that you have. If you, you know, depending on what you want to put in there. So I think it was a really smart move on Toyota for that. Hey, since everybody's worried about fuel prices right now, do you remember offhand what the hybrid? Uh, they did not uh, have the numbers for us so at the moment. But it's probably pretty comparable to the Tundra. Uh, yes. Yeah. All right. We're going to come back to uh, Alex, who has um, the rundown on a 2023 uh, four-door that uh, we've been watching over the years and its return to the market. 
And we'll get back to that. But first, we're going to go to the lightning round. And we are going to switch gears here again. And we're going to talk about uh, an electric vehicle and one that has a new advantage in the market. Uh, General Motors recently announced that they are slashing the price of the 2023 Chevrolet Bolt EV and EUV by up to $6,300. Now, the Bolt EV, the car one, uh, will have a starting price of $26,595, and the larger uh, SUV-style EUV, which is only front-wheel drive, or rather, it's only, is it front-wheel or all-wheel or rear-wheel drive? Anyway, it's two-wheel drive. Uh, starts at $28,195. This makes the Chevrolet Bolt series the least ex- cheapest, least expensive, cheapest EV on the market, undercutting even the Nissan Leaf. Now, do you think, especially with rising gas prices, that will make Bolt sales boom? I should point out that General Motors is not uh, no longer eligible for the $7,500 um, federal uh, tax credit. So this is a price basically out the door, I guess, uh, more or less. What do you think? Is this going to supercharge the Bolt? Now, I should also point out Bolts were off the market for every year because mm-hmm. of some battery fire issues, which were uh, taken care of. And they're actually, I don't think there's even been any more situations that I'm aware of. But what do you think? Does this uh, make the Bolts prospects better? Uh, if the dealers don't start adding money on top well, of Well, but every, right now, <laughs> everybody's yeah. adding money on everything. Yeah. So, but in a perfect world, in a perfect world, if it was really 26595 I think you'd start seeing more eyes looking their way. But, um, I mean, that makes it very competitive with yeah. just about anything else. Yeah, I mean, with the internal combustion engine vehicle of its class. That's right around the, the Maverick price, isn't it? Uh, Maverick's a little cheaper, a little cheaper but then yeah. that's a pickup. So. Well, yeah, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying for just price point. Right. Um, I mean, I, I you know it's difficult with me. You know how I feel about EVs. I'm not a huge fan, so it's difficult for Get me. Get with to, the program, I, I just, Kyle. I know, man. I know. I'm trying. Alex, any comments? <laughs> You know, I mean, not that boom is necessarily quantitative, but I don't think boom is really maybe the right word for it. I think they will sell more. I think more people will look at them as an option because, yeah, that's a very attractive price, especially Mm -hmm. for people who want to get into EVs. One of the things I hear is like, oh, but they're just so dang expensive. Right. That price, I think a lot of people who are looking to buy a new car can swing that, or at least hopefully they can. Um yeah, it's kind of a bummer that they don't get the tax credit, but again, at that price, I mean, you, you really can't complain. Well, too I much. think that's the reason, and I right. think it actually says a lot about what's going on with some of these prices. I personally think a lot of the uh, EVs that we see in here now are they're making more profit on the vehicle because they know people are going to get up to seventy five hundred bucks off. Right, and in this case, that premium is gone, so they priced it to be competitive with other vehicles that still get that 7500 bucks off. So, mm-hmm. Greg, any comment? Yeah, I uh, pretty much agree with Alex. Um, I, I think they'll see an increase, um, especially now with the uh, climate we're in in terms of gas prices. Um, I, I just don't think they're going to get anybody who's already into the EV scene. I think the people who are already in it and following it are going to want to go for the flashier stuff mm-hmm. and are willing to pay a little bit more because the Bolt, the EUV, or just the regular Bolt are not very flashy vehicles. But I do think that you know people who are now realizing they're putting you know, $150, $200 uh, a week into their car is might start looking up cheap EVs and yeah. this is what's mm-hmm. going to come up the bolt. And they're like, you know what? 
I just yeah. want to get off. I want to stop paying so much for fuel. And I think that's the kind of buyer who's going to get into the bolt. Um, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think the bolt is really going to take off and keep uh, pace with some of the other EVs. You know, it, and by the way, I'm correcting myself. The bolt is front wheel drive. It is only a two wheel drive vehicle. I wish they had in the, uh, the SUV, the EUV, I wish it was a little had all-wheel drive that yeah. would make it a huge advantage and looking at them side by side to be honest i don't think the utility version is that much more useful than the regular version so i'm looking at it and thinking okay this is a very nice we talk about evs right now being almost perfect for around town it's got what 238 mile range uh, that's very competitive uh, given its price and I look at it and think it doesn't take up a lot of garage space. This is actually, along with some others, there's the others, it's not the only small one out there, but this is a very competitively priced, actually cheaply priced around town EV. And right now, since uh, with gas prices what they are, I think they'll sell everyone they can get their hands it'll, on. It'll uh, probably um, compete with the BZ4X, the Toyota's new electric, because it's actually so. similar in range. I mean, yeah. the, the BZ4X mm -hmm. doesn't tout a huge range. It is bigger. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's, it's bigger, but it also starts over 40 grand before right. the tax credit. So, I mean, right. you can still, they're still going to undercut it in price. So, mm -hmm. like I said before, somebody who just wants to get away from gas-powered vehicles, I mean, might find themselves in a bolt now. Now, there is strategy here. Uh, GM has already announced that uh, upcoming EVs on the uh, Chevrolet line are going to start in the low 30s, like 33. Hmm. So they basically pulled the bolt price down to leave room for uh, what's coming next. I don't know if that was the Equinox, or I think it probably is the EV Equinox. Okay. Very good. And let's move on now to our viewer question from Charlie Jinn, G-I-N-N, Charlie. Who will be the first to market an EV convertible? So on the subject of EVs, we're now basically, you know, when you talk, start talking about a convertible, you're talking about a kind of a, a car that you don't necessarily need, but would be nice mm -hmm. to have on a, a nice summer day. We know that uh, Tesla has shown, uh, uh, you know, a new Roadster. Uh, but besides Tesla, uh, who do we think might come out with a convertible first? I hope it's Lexus. I really do. I think because I drove the LC500 hybrid, mm -hmm. which is good. And they just came out with the RZ450E. So they have their first all-electric uh, you know, mid-sized SUV. And I just, I like what they did with the styling of it. They didn't change it so much from the RX that it looks crazy, crazy different. You know, it's in the family. Mm -hmm. It definitely has some little styling points that you know it's an EV as opposed to the other models. But uh, I, I think if Lexus was able to put together an all-electric LC500, then you might start to get me to change my mind about EVs. Mm, that would be big bucks. Yeah. But I think it's just going to be big bucks anyway. Anyone else have an opinion? Um, I'm not entirely sure who exactly. I think it'll either be something European mm -hmm. or um, just an offshoot, maybe like an indie startup will, will come out oh, with something and be like, hey, look, convertible. Because, uh, yeah, that's a segment that hasn't necessarily been tapped. So. Greg? Uh, yeah, John, you and I, I think we came to the same answer as we were talking off air. It has three uh, initials. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the Germans, uh, we both said BMW, but I could also see Mercedes doing mm -hmm. it. They they like to uh, do the drop tops. Um, but I would say the i4, the new BMW EV, uh, lends itself to uh, convertible style. 
Yeah, I think BMW, I think Mercedes has already dropped some hints that they might do. I mean, they've done away with their SLK. They just have the uh, SL left in the Roadster. I think they've dropped some hints there might be something else coming there. But I agree with you. I think it's going to probably be BMW. It's a rather natural. Um, you know, you've you've got – there's really absolutely nothing that would keep them from doing it. Uh, you've got a sturdy body that has to handle all those batteries in the first place. Uh, you, you'd give up some rear seat room, uh, if not give it up entirely. But uh, I agree with you. So, Charlie, I hope that answers your question. Uh, we're just guessing out here, but, um, you know, that's what these podcasts are all about. <laughs> we're just always guessing. <laughs> always guessing. But we're going to go back to someone that actually knows something, oh. and we're going to turn to Alex <laughs> and talk about the return Yes. Of the Acura Integra 2023, four door only. I know mm -hmm. that disappoints people. Yeah, but tell yeah. us what else uh, we know about it, Alex. Yeah, so I had the honor of of spending the most time with with the demo model we got in. Uh, specifically, ours was the A spec with tech package, which if people aren't aware, so the new Integra is basically only available in I guess you could say three trims. It's one the base is just called Integra, then you bump up to uh, A spec, and then ours was the A spec with tech. The reason why that's important is because that's also the only model you can get the six-speed manual and the limited slip differential, um, which a lot of people want. Actually, I think it's 65% of people, Acura said, are taking the manual transmission. Now, nice. let me stop you right there. Why is that? Give us a, a short capsule of what Integra buyers historically have done with their cars. These these are people that do a lot of parking lot races. You know, so they 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 are into manuals. Right. Yeah. Uh, they want something that's that's sporty. They want something that's fun. That I mean, they've got control of. Right. Uh previously we had talked about how, you know, traditionally the some of the most beloved integras were two door liftbacks and everything. And while yeah, this one is, you know, a four door, so it loses a little bit of that. I think, you know, Acura obviously wanted to keep some of that street cred going. That being said uh, speaking of like controllability and everything, it's, it utilizes the 1.5 liter. Uh, it's 200 horsepower on the nose, 192 pound-feet of torque. Uh, and speaking of that manual transmission, um, man, was that thing easy to drive. Uh, that Historically, I got another Honda Acura right, trait. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, like they really nailed it there. The clutch was super light, and, and Stephen had brought this up. I, he drove it a little, and he said, you know, the clutch feels a little uh, – it wasn't as precise. And, and when I first got in it, it was a little ambiguous because of how light it was. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, once I got used to it, I loved the way the clutch felt. Shifting, it's a short throw shifter from the factory, or at least, you know, for a factory installed one, it's short. Um, so it all felt really nice. Driving it, yeah, I mean, you can tell it's based off of a Civic. You you really can. I have not driven. That's a good the, thing. Yeah, though, yeah, that's yes. not a bad thing yeah. at all. I mean, it's definitely a little bit more aggressive, but more notably, it's more premium. It's more upscale. You, especially ours that we had. You know, it Acura is a brand that that has survived because of its utility vehicles, mm -hmm. and it tells me that they must have some confidence in the future to spend that much money on a car mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in a, during a, an era where cars are totally out of favor and a sporty one. But when you really look at the new Integra, does it have any real direct competitors? Yeah, that price point? I don't know. How much silence? Uh, well, the, so that's that's the thing. Thing. the thing. The price point's really good. It, it's starting just over thirty thousand, yeah. and the one we drove, which again is the the top, uh, is thirty five. So, I mean, that's really good uh, price that's, wise. That's, that's going to compete very with, competitive against uh, the Europeans. Yeah. So. 
Uh, something that I, when I did my first drive, I didn't take note of this in the video, or I didn't say it because I was worried about being misconstrued, but I think it's, it's kind of a valid point is when I got in the new Integra, I felt like I was in a new Acura before I felt like I was in a new Integra. Interesting. And I guess that's just the way it's laid out inside. Yeah. I mean, when you get in it, uh, like, yeah, starting with the looks and everything, like people thought, like I, someone, I think it was Jessica said that it kind of looked like a baby TLX and, mm -hmm. and kind of felt like one, which again, not really a bad thing. No, a like, bad TLX thing at all. Was, it was pretty nice. Um, but I guess my point is when I sat inside of it, it's like, okay, I can tell this is, they took the Civic, they made it more upscale, a little more precise, a little bit more premium. Looks very and different. Yeah. It, it looks different. I don't think it shares a single body panel yeah. with the Civic. Um, but I didn't get into it with this like nostalgia-laden view of it. I guess. Which that I, means he's well, too young. Which, 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 yeah, <laughs> you might be disappointed if you do. Yeah, well, and that, and that was I mean, my I point. I was certainly disappointed, and I mean, I'll just say it when it came out, and I saw the oh sure, saw the pictures. I actually still haven't seen it in person. Um, I just like it. It didn't yeah. do anything for me, and I, and I understand that. And I think if if you go into it like that, like you're thinking, oh, it's a new Integra, this is going to be super awesome. I can't wait to get in it. Yeah, it is. It actually is a little underwhelming, but me going into it with less of a of like a nostalgia or or an opinion of the older mm. ones partially yeah because i'm younger but also just I, I don't know i've i've just never really been into the integra that much uh, you know driving this one i still as a car i thought it was it was excellent i thought they did a really good job yeah i mean i'm sure it's gonna well, i mean you know that it, i'm sure it drives great i haven't driven mm -hmm. it like i said um we know from the tlx that acura can put together a nice sporty four-door and it's um Thank goodness they're still doing uh, yeah, it. Yeah, and what's what's the deal with the ILX? Because that was originally the mm -hmm. Acura's version of the Civic, and like hardly any. I even brought it up at a press event, and people were like, "Oh yeah, the ILX." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, like I don't know if maybe because this think is a this, lot has to do with the name, but but yeah, actually, given the fact that it did not capture your imagination, I'm actually amazed that they went to the trouble to do a small car. Mm -hmm. So when you mentioned the uh, the parking lot racing and yeah. stuff like that, let's say I grew up right in that era yeah. and um, may have participated in some of that in my younger years. But uh, yeah, it was, that, you know, that yellow all over your clothes is not from cones. <laughs> but, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I had a 99 Mitsubishi Eclipse when all that stuff was going on. I had friends with Integras, you know, preludes, civics, all of that body kits, rims, loud exhaust systems, all that just obnoxious stuff. So, you know, when I heard, <laughs> when I heard about the Integra, I was really excited because I always loved them. Right. It was always one of the cars that I was the most jealous of. If you, you aspire. Know, yeah. To. If we were mm -hmm. all in the parking lot showing our cars off and we'd have 20 or 30 cars down by a beach in Stanford, Connecticut. And, um, you know, when the, when the nice Integras would roll in, I'd just be like, Dang, like that's not mine because that looks really, really good. And I mean, and then I, you know, walked out. Alex told me the Integra was here when it showed up. I basically ran out of the office, very excited, and got in front of it and kind of went, "Oh, oh, <laughs> oh!" Which is, it's just the, it's just the honest truth. It's just the the four door and. I just wasn't wasn't as happy to see it okay, as I thought it would why? be. Okay, why? I mean, I just, since, you've, since you've just I know, socked him in the I chin. Know, I did, I did, and I'm sorry. But it, it just, it didn't, maybe I'm just too connected to the older models or something like that, but it just didn't hit me yeah, with any like emotion at all. There was I nothing was about it. I was very excited to see it. I thought, I think That's it looks really I, slick. I was excited to see it, and then I wasn't. Yeah. 
well, <laughs> let's hope that those sixty-five uh, percent of the people that put their uh, uh, yeah. money where their mouth is are right. are as or more excited, more as excited as I was, <laughs> and not, yeah. and not feel, feeling any disappointment. But anyway, Alex, just to sum it all up. Uh, sum up the car in a few words. Were you you the, were happy driving it? The the best way to sum it up is exactly what we were just talking about. If you go into it with nostalgia because yeah. you really like the old Integras, you you will probably be a little disappointed. And it would have been cool if they had made a, a two door liftback, but they didn't. As a car, as a four door liftback, I think it's great. I, I like the way it looks. I like the way it drives. I think a lot of people are going to get these, and they're going to be happy. You know, I think, and if I had to say, they probably are aiming at people your age more than mine. Uh, so, yeah, probably. And so that could that may be the out. <laughs> When's the Type S coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know? Did they? Yeah, did no. they even Oh, that, I, that was an actual coming. question. There has to no, be. No, yeah. I don't think. I don't they think they've make said this without a Type right. S. Right. I don't think they've no they've way. said yeah. when it's coming, but yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks, Alex. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we uh, have time for any rant and raves. I guess we can all uh, rant about uh, fuel prices, but uh, then <laughs> yeah. again, that, that's nothing new. Anybody got anything else? Um, yeah. It bothered, you know, this, uh, between this and the last podcast, some statistics came out about how many uh, traffic accident fatalities there were in 2021. And basically, it's the most we've had in this country since 2005. So all of the progress in uh, traffic accident fatalities and all the new safety systems on vehicles that pull those numbers down, it seems to be for naught. And I don't know about you, but it just seems to me most of it, you know, people say, well, people are driving too fast. It's not that. It's people mm -hmm. are ignoring common sense and courtesy on the road yeah. and you just see it every single day i was driving uh the bolt uh, euv that we've got in at work and i was trying to be careful on the battery not basically giving it too uh too much uh, uh throttle but i was let's say a little above the speed limit and uh people are passing you like they're going out of style and then when they get in front of you they mm -hmm. whip over to uh, your lane and you know one fellow went by me and passed on the shoulder and it's saying what are you doing you know and i don't know what we have to do to get that back which bothers me it'll be some draconian measure taken by governments but folks out there you're you're playing with fire and you're going to yeah. ruin it for all of us there's a well, social yeah. responsibility that comes oh, with yeah. driving and that, that seems to be gone yeah. it definitely comes hand in hand with the pandemic because i was still yeah. you know traveling to the office anywhere between three and five days a week for you because know, you had to shoot the cars because i had to shoot the cars yeah. and you know all the all the highways opened up a lot less traffic so people that were still out there commuting were getting way more aggressive and way yeah. more brave you know yeah. just like you said, passing on the shoulder, even though they didn't need to. But I feel like now that more people are coming okay. back, the yeah. highways are getting more congested again. And, you know, at first I was getting annoyed. I'm like, can everyone just go back home so I can have I can have this 25 minutes off of my commute from the traffic yeah. congestion areas? And uh, it seems like, yeah, that kind of that's the crazy aggressive driving I'm seeing way, way more often now as opposed to before the shutdown. And, and it gets me that I don't think law enforcement is set up to basically tag aggressive drivers they're no. they they, they are their devices and all are speed related mm -hmm. and i don't know what it would take i i don't like big brother looking over my shoulder more than anyone else but uh something has to give here okay we got a little off track anyone got anything <laughs> else 
Just drive safe. And back. Yeah. So that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Just drive safe. I want to thank our road test producer, Kyle Scanlon, our writer, Alexander, or Alex Kellum, and, of course, our over-the-edge reporter and hot shoe of the moment, Greg Carlos. Thank you all out there for being a part of our Motor Week podcast. Basically, if you're uh, looking for more about Motor Week, we'd like to direct you to our website at motorweek.org. Uh, if you want to know what public television station in your area carries us and the times, we have up-to-date listings on our website. Just go up to the corner, pull down about the show, put in your zip code or your state, and you'll get all of the airings in your area. Or you can hop over to our cable partner at mavtv.com for their schedule. They show us six or seven times a week. You can watch all of the highlights from Motor Week on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash motorweek, and recent episodes in their entirety for free over at pbs.org slash motorweek. Basically, if you have any kind of video device, you can find and watch MotorWeek, and you can also on our website, of course, listen to all of our podcasts. So I want to thank our audio engineer, Jillian Cookman, our podcast producer, of course, Jessica Ray, and podcast creator, Bob Mixter. And thanks to everybody out there for being a part of MotorWeek. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.